A very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast. My name is Matt Ellis. It's wonderful to have your company as always. And a big thank you to the guests that have appeared on the show so far. We're up to episode three now and we've had a couple of good ones. The official Cricket Countdown patron, Nina Stevens, joined us to tell us about her love of the game. We also heard from 1989 Ashes tourist Greg Campbell. And you can go and listen to those via Spotify or iTunes or your favourite podcast provider. It's all there and available for those of you who are keen to catch up on those after you check in with today's guest. It is Marty Roan, a entertainer from the 70s. He had some big hits in the 70s, but he has had a very distinguished career and continues to work in the entertainment industry and doing some very interesting things at the moment, which we'll hear about in our chat. And importantly for us, we will hear about his love of cricket, his involvement in the game at grassroots level uh, and where his passion for the game came from. Some very interesting talking points on our chat with Marty Roan today. He also, when he was coaching junior cricket, he had the opportunity to pick up a couple of young ladies in his team and sign them up to play, but he kindly offered them to another club. And you might be interested to know who those players were because one of them is doing exceptionally well at the moment. And we'll leave that to Marty to explain that story to us. He also played a game on North Sydney Oval. And I'm very interested to hear about that, being a cricket tragic, getting the chance to play on a venue like the North Sydney Oval in a celebrity match back in the day. There's lots of fun to be had coming up. Make sure you enjoy this one with Marty Roan. It's a very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast, Marty Roan. Good morning, Marty. Good morning, Matt. Nice to be with you and your listeners. It's great to have you on the show, Marty. Now, a lot of people know you as an entertainer, but what is your connection to cricket? Well, my connection to cricket goes back generations because my grandfather on my mother's side, Laurie Bagshaw, played first-class cricket in South Australia. He was an an off-spin bowler. Uh, back in the 30s, uh, and he has the distinction of having bowled Donald Bradman for a duck. Wow. There you go. So it's in it's in the bloodline, Marty. It's in the bloodline. And then, of course, um, I, I, was a, I was a cricket tragic, but I was a, I was a tragic cricketer. <laughs> 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 um, and, it, and it, uh, you know, I, I started far too late. Uh, my grandfather was actually the same grandfather who put a cricket bat in my hand. He lived in South Australia, and I was living in uh, Sydney at the time, and he would visit. But I started far too late to ever, you know, make any impact as a decent cricketer. But, of course, the tradition continued with my brother um, and uh, and my, my, my son. Yeah, now your brother played grade cricket for North Sydney, a very accomplished grade cricketer in Sydney, and your son was a pretty handy opening batsman as well. He was. My brother actually played for two clubs. He played for North Sydney and he played for Mossman. And um, he, for many, many years, he and Gavin Robertson 
has the uh, record for the the highest seventh wicket partnership in grade cricket. Um, and then, and then my brother went on to captain the New South Wales indoor cricket side. Um, I have very fond memories of him coming to England in the late 70s when I was doing The King and I at the London Palladium, and he stayed with us. And he, At the time, he was still a teenager, and I got him into the Southgate Cricket Club. And um, he ended up opening batting with Southgate with Will Slack, who went on to play for England. And I always remember the very first game he had, uh, he came back to the uh, the apartment we had in London and I said, how'd you go, mate? And he said, oh, yeah, pretty good. I played against a pretty decent bowler by the name of John Snow. And uh, Snow had already retired. And I said, how did Snow go? He said, oh, he only took the one wicket. And I said, uh, which wicket was that? He said, the Australians, of course, me. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, and then my son Luke um, was a terrific uh, opening uh, young opening batsman. But unfortunately, after he left school, he played a couple of years of men's cricket, and uh, scored his highest score, I think, um, 155 not out for uh, Kissing Point. And sadly on that day, I had another appointment and I didn't get to see it. That's oh. one of my, my regrets. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the Kissing Point Cricket Club. This is where our connection is. We both coached together at the, at the Kissing Point Cricket Club and you're a life member there. To be a life member of a sporting club, tells me that you've been heavily involved. Can you give us a bit of background as to your direct involvement in cricket down there at the Kissing Point Cricket Club in Sydney? Well, my association with the Kissing Point uh, Club actually started with soccer when my boys took up soccer. Uh, Luke, uh, again, at a very young age, I think he was about five years old. And then a couple of seasons later, I I enrolled enrolled Luke and then later my youngest son, Matthew, into the cricket club. And Luke worked his way up, uh, you know, through the age groups and, and stayed with Kissing Point right up till I think he was about 19 or 20 when he uh, unfortunately gave the game away. But, um, yeah, I, I had a very long – I coached uh, soccer. I coached uh, both my sons at soccer and I coached um, both my boys at cricket. And I ended up for a couple of seasons being the president of the cricket club and also, I think, I'm not sure whether I was ever present at the soccer club. I don't think I was. But anyway, uh, and I was there for many, many years. And uh, I, w- I was very, uh, I was very um, chuffed when, uh, when they acknowledged me with that uh, life membership. I was very appreciative. And you had a heavy involvement in the establishment of girls cricket at the club as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? A, a, lot, a lot earlier than... Uh, girls cricket was really prominent like it is today where we've got the Australian women's cricket team have just won the Ashes and the women's big bash league is is exploding and is huge and the and the world T20 coming up in Australia next year you were involved in girls cricket a lot before any of the public acknowledgement of our women's cricketers was happening can you tell us a bit about that yeah, look, it was a very exciting time for both myself and anyone involved with cricket. You know, to be honest, I can't really remember how I got involved with setting up girls cricket there. I think it was through another um, colleague from maybe one of the other clubs because I remember that a whole group of us from the various clubs got together um, through my association with the Kissing Point Cricket Club 
and uh, guys from the Glenory Cricket Club and West Pennant Hills Cricket Club and all of those and a lot of very dedicated parents. Ironically, of course, I didn't have a girl, I didn't have a daughter, but I had I had such I had such a love for cricket that I ended up on the on the committee, and uh, struck up a, a, a very uh, good friendship with Lisa Stalaker, um, who of course was playing cricket for Australia at the time, and she was very much along with the parents up there were uh, were very much the driving force in getting girls cricket off the ground in that that area that region of Sydney, and it was. Uh, at the time, I don't know whether it's still the case, but it was at the time uh, the most successful girls' cricket competition in the whole of New South Wales. Um, and, of course, two, two of the girls who got their start um, in, uh, in, that, uh, in that association were Meg Lanning, the current Australian captain of, uh, Australia, uh, captain of Australia, and Elise Perry. Um, I think from memory, Elise started as a very young girl with Glenory and... Um, Meg Lanning's parents brought her and her sister down to Kissing Point, and I very generously uh, <laughs> offered them to, uh, sadly but generously, offered both of them to the Gordon Cricket Club, Gordon Girls Cricket Club, which was just entering the competition. So I wanted to give them a, a kick along, and boy, did I give them a kick along! <laughs> oh, you certainly did. A couple of a, a couple of great stories there about where it all started for some of those girls that are now leading the way in Australian cricket. And haven't they done a great job both on and off the field? Oh, they have. But let me tell you, I think the grounding that they got from our competition was, was excellent. I, I remember the setup with Glenory, who were, were for a long time um, uh, one of our, uh, you know, we always had great games against Glenory and the West Pennant Hills Club. And there were some really great young girl cricketers there. Uh, another little interesting story: um, I at Kissing Pot, I coached uh, David Kosh, Koshy's two daughters. Oh, uh, there you go, Koshy from Sunrise. Um, and so there's some wonderful memories and wonderful history. But just getting back onto the quality of some of those girls' uh, cricket players, we had some uh, fantastic girls at Kissing Point, and the Glory Club and the West Pennant Hills Club also had some terrific young girl cricketers and the two I mentioned of course have gone on to play for Australia. Yeah it's outstanding that something like that a couple of parents getting together and planting the seed of an idea and getting a competition off the ground it's amazing where that has led and the the growth of girls cricket in Australia at the moment is is phenomenal and it's great to see that it's, it's still heading in a northward trajectory. Now, Marty, can you tell us a little bit about any of your experiences playing cricket? I understand you may have actually had a game on North Sydney Oval. I had a celebrity cricket match on North Sydney Oval and um, uh, Greg, Tony Gregg was involved. Um, I can't, to be honest with you, I can't remember all the celebrities were there. I agree. I remember... Um, Greg, uh, oh, his name, uh, Gus Mercurio from the ABC was was playing. Uh, look, a whole lot of celebrities whose names I just cannot recall any longer, but I always remember the game because I remember we fielded first um, and I was fielding at point and I was terrified because <laughs> I tell you who it was. I tell you who it was, was coming into bowl at, to Tony Gregg and I just, I think it was either, it was either, uh, Lawson, Jeff Lawson, or someone else of that stature 
came in and bowled at Tony Gregg and he cut the ball straight at me. And the, the, the sight of that ball coming off the middle of Tony Gregg's bat, and I was feeling it. <laughs> Terrible. But, but I learned very quickly that when you're on a good surface, of which North Sydney is a very good cricket surface, the ball comes to you as if it's on a billiard table, unlike when you're playing, you know, kids' cricket, when the ball can bob or bounce or kick or whatever. The ball just ran straight along the ground to me, and I remembered all my rudiments of cricket, getting down on one knee and getting your... Your, your leg behind it, and I fielded it cleanly, and I, I amazed myself and probably half the crowd. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then, of course, we got to bat, and um, I was batting there, and I think I'd got about four runs, and, and they they put George Denik in on to bowl, George Denik in, the announcer from SBS, and I thought, oh, you, you beauty, these are going to go to the boundary, all six balls. And he sent me down a rank full toss first ball, and I hit it straight down the throat of Tony Gregg. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> sounds like it. Sounds so like a great. lot of fun. It was great fun. Yeah, yeah. But that's about as far as I went in cricket, unlike my uh, my brother and my son. Now, you're still a fan of the game. Are you still like you're in Los oh, Angeles yeah. at the moment? You still call yourself a cricket tragic? Oh, very much so. I've because the the ashes happens here at night time. Um, I would get up in the morning. It was actually my motivation for getting out of bed and going because I would get up here um, at about the time when uh, it was about three p.m. in the afternoon. So I'd get the the details of the score up till then, and then over breakfast and that I, I'd I'd sort of watch the updates because I, I couldn't get it live here. Being the U.S., of course, they uh, they they think. Cricket is like watching grass grow. But let me tell you, I've been to a baseball game here and uh, I'd much rather watch a game of cricket because um, to me, baseball is like watching grass grow. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, there's nothing much happens for long periods. All people do are, are, are celebrate and, and eat and take selfies of themselves at the baseball here. But, um, no, I, I got up and uh, I'd watch the highlights. I would, uh, I would get the... Uh, five or six minute highlights on uh, YouTube at the end of each day, which I enjoyed looking at. And who, who's impressed you in the Ashes so far? Oh, Steve Smith, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, you, you've got to, you've got to uh, commend him on his mental strength. I mean, to come out with after all that uh, adverse publicity and all of that and to have the crowd booing you and walk out there and have the, 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 the collection of mind and, and, and the togetherness to – to uh, you know, make two hundreds. I mean, that is an incredible feat, in my view, um, against a pretty decent bowler in uh, Broad. Yeah. Um, just an amazing thing. The other ones who impressed me, um, I have to say, after the first innings, I didn't, I didn't uh, back uh, uh, Matt Wade to, uh, to to make much. But all credit to him, he's taken his chance and grabbed it with both hands. Um, you know, I think uh, I still think that um, uh, at the top of the order, I think Bancroft and uh, Warner um, are just going to have to are just going to have to watch themselves a bit because, you know, uh, as the as the record show, Warner hasn't got a great record in England, yep. um, and there's a lot of people there's a lot of people now. I mean, what a change from 12 months ago. There's a lot of people now knocking on the door to get in uh, into that uh, test side, and. Um, and there's a, a great um, a backlog, not backlog, great uh, depth in the bowling ranks as well, which is a wonderful position to be in. Oh, it's a tremendous 
position to be in, one nil up in the series and a couple of the, the big guns like Stark and Hazelwood didn't feature in that in that first test match and I, I think mm. there, there definitely is depth there with the bowling. Now, you're an entertainer. Who mm. who are the cricketers that entertain you? Like in um, over your years of watching cricket, um, who, who are the ones that you, you really enjoy watching? Oh, well, of course, over the years, I always enjoyed Warney um, yep. because, I mean, he was so unpredictable, especially with the bat. Um, I'll never forget that game. I think it was a test match that he was he was on 99, I think, and someone – or he was he yeah, was 99. within, within – he was on 99, and someone said, you know, all he has to do is play a single – uh, through through uh, you know mid wicket or somewhere or, or, or just niggle it down the fine leg to get a run to make his hundred and I knew I, I knew he was going to go for the big <laughs> wooshka. I just knew it and of course he got out. Um, so yeah, that, I mean Warney was always in in today's current batch. Um, they're not as they're probably there's not the, there's not the real entertainers that there were a few years ago. Um, you know, Tim Payne as a captain is very quiet, very uh, keeps very much within himself. They're, they're all fairly quiet. I think I think Wade has the potential to be a larrikin, but I hope he controls it because he always seems to to uh, to go backwards when he starts to be the larrikin and, the, and, and, and and you know the bit of a prankster, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I believe he's a, a very good sledger, but if he can keep his mind on the game, I think he could cement his his place in. In the team, and I think the middle order has lacked a big hitting uh, batsman in that middle order for so long. Yeah. And if Wade, if Wade can establish himself in the position, it is great to have someone at six and seven who can belt the ball all over the park, and uh, and not get out. Um, um, Lion, Lion's not a larrikin, but he's uh, he's always got a smile on his face. Uh, he's I think he's one of the happiest cricketers in that team. But uh, no, I don't think there. I don't think there are really a lot of entertainers in the side at the moment. But who cares? As long as they're doing well, as long as they're beating palms, I couldn't care. <laughs> now, now, can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to at, at the moment? You um, you started your career as a a young musician playing more pop kind of rock music. I think now is it true your yep. first public performance was with the Rolling Stones? As a support act for the Rolling Stones at Moor Park, the old showgrounds at uh, at Moor Park, um, in the agricultural pavilion, I remember walking in the first day, um, and all you could smell were pumpkins and carrots and beetroot and and onions because they didn't have a big stadium back in those days that could hold two or three thousand people. So that was it, um, and uh, that was with uh, the Stones and with the Searchers and with Max Merritt and the media. That was my first public appearance as a professional at the age of 17. Very exciting way to start off one's career. And and from there, you've done all sorts of things. You've done stage and screen. Um, recently popped up on ABC's Harrow uh, as Dr. Harry yep. Briggs. What, what, yep. what do you enjoy the most? I like all, all, all the different uh, genres for different reasons. Um, I love performing live to an audience, uh, singing. Um, I love musical theatre because you get the combination of both. You get to act, you get to sing, and you have very close, very, very close contact with the audience. 
I love the medium of television acting and film acting um, because it's uh, acting gives you an opportunity to play someone, to pretend to be somebody else. Yeah. And that's always that was always a lot of fun. And one of my re- well, the main reason for being here uh, was my desire to get back into acting and uh, come over to the US here and see what I can do. And uh, I'm pleased to say that since I've come here, I've managed to get appearances on Bull, uh, the, the series on Channel 10, and in Harrow. And I'm soon cropping up in uh, the Stan program, the Stan uh, streaming. Uh, uh, series called Preacher. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm back in L.A. Uh, looking to get more roles here, but I'm also back here to to complete the editing of my uh, music video for my next single, now, uh, which is coming out around – yeah, sorry? Yeah, I was just about to say, now, you, you're doing country now and love, the, love the, the first track on the album, Good Thing Going. That's one of those really catchy tunes that stays in your head. How's it been transitioning into a different genre of music? Well, it happened completely by accident because um, I was offered a song uh, two and a half years ago called Graceland on the Line, which was written by two Australians, very famous Australians, Johnny Young and Johnson Peters. And it was to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the death of Elvis Presley. And they sent me the song and, and I really loved it, but I called Johnson Peters back and I said, John, this is a country song. And he said, yeah. And I said, but I'm not a country singer. He said, no, but we think your voice suits this song really well. Okay. Cut a long story short, uh, I recorded the song uh, and I was coming to America at the time and I thought, well, rather than just release it in Australia, um, why don't I release it in the US? It was seen by a, a well-known record pro- producer here, David Holman, who loved the song, loved the video invited me to a meeting up in the Hollywood Hills here. And it was then that I learned that he was the producer of the Grease album and the Xanadu albums for Olivia. Oh, wow. And um, he, he was also the producer for Gwen Stefani. So uh, he said, I'd love to produce your first country album. And, of course, a couple of years later, here we are. The album's completed. We've released the first track off the album, as you mentioned. And the follow-up single, which is called Jealous of the Sky, uh, a completely different song. It's a ballad, but a beautiful, beautiful song uh, written by uh, Gina Jeffries and, and Rob McCormack, the husband and wife country performers. Yeah. Um, and I've just filmed the music video in Australia before coming here, and my son, Matthew, my youngest son, um, who was a good so- soccer player but a very ordinary cricketer, <laughs> um, is uh, is editing the video for me. He uh, lives and works in Salt Lake City here, so... Uh, I'm really looking forward to – he also edited We Had a Good Thing Going. Oh, wow. Okay. So when can we expect to see that one hitting the hitting the social platforms? Uh, probably I'm, I'm thinking the stage about mid-September. It could be earlier, but I think the song could be released earlier, but the video will probably be out around the middle of September. Oh, that sounds very exciting. Well, Marty, thank you so much for joining us on the Cricket Library podcast. It's great to hear from people that are passionate about the game. You are certainly very passionate about the game and passionate about life itself. I think we see that reflected in the work you do in your professional life and that passion for cricket is is clearly there as well. I really appreciate your time and, and sharing some of those great stories with us today. 
No, it's been my pleasure, Matt. And if you ever decide to re- retire from all uh, capacities with cricket, you'll make a heck of an announcer on radio. I think the ABC could give you a position down there. Oh, thanks, Marty. You're very generous. No, I mean it. I'm serious. A massive thank you to Marty Roan for joining us on this edition of the Cricket Library podcast. That was a very enjoyable chat, hearing about the origins of Marty's love for the game. Sounds like his grandfather was a a pretty handy cricketer. If you're knocking over Bradman, you're doing okay, that's for sure. And what a contribution he's made to cricket in New South Wales at his local club And that is at the heart of community cricket, really, isn't it? People like Marty giving back to the game. Lots of mums and dads out there doing that each and every week around the nation, keeping cricket alive and well. And some interesting stories there. Marty Roan, the coach who knocked back Meg Lanning early on. Well, he did it with a good reason, you'd have to say. Helping out another club and helping the girls' game grow that's for certain and what a career he's had as an entertainer and that still continues on now good thing going that's well worth a listen make sure you check that one out Uh, you can go to martyroan.com.au you can also follow him on all the usual social platforms at martyroan on twitter to keep up with the latest and find out when that new music video jealous of the skylands i'm really looking forward to seeing that one a very enjoyable chat as always as mentioned earlier if you ever miss any of the shows feel free to catch up via itunes or spotify and if you are listening on those platforms please make sure you leave us a review and subscribe and that way you don't miss out on any future episodes of course a big thank you to you our listeners without you this program would not be possible i really appreciate the time you take to listen to the Cricket Library podcast and this is Matt Ellis signing off bye for now